fans to episode 17 of the Curly W Live podcast. If you want to go back and listen to any episodes, head over to our blog, which is Curly W Live, curlyw.mlblogs.com, or search for the podcast through iTunes by searching Curly W Live. We are once again coming to you from the Curly W Live studios at Nationals Park, and this episode marks the final episode in a series of podcasts that have been dedicated to each of the four All-Star games played here in Washington, D.C. In our first segment, we once again handed the microphone and recorder over to Jonathan Lerner, the way we did prior to the 2017 NLDS. Uh, Jonathan sat with his grandfather, Mr. Ted Lerner, and his father, Mark Lerner, to talk about their All-Star game memories and their excitement as we head into the 2018 All-Star Week of festivities, which include, among other things, the Fan Fest held at the Convention Center, the Futures game, uh, the Celebrity Softball game, both of those are on Sunday, as well as the Home Run Derby on Monday and the game itself on Tuesday. So, once again, it was really cool to listen to Jonathan uh, talk with his grandfather and his father about their All-Star game memories, whether it, um, it was attending games, working at the games, um, you know, watching the games on TV, whatever, whatever it may be. I know, I know you will enjoy that conversation uh, between the three of them. So once again, thanks again to those guys for taking the time out to uh, to join the podcast. And then following that segment, we will once again be joined by noted DC baseball historian and author Fred Fromer. Fred has been on each of one of these podcasts, and uh, he is the author of several books, including "You Got to Have Heart," which is a history of Washington baseball. Um, George Will. Uh, once again, a noted author himself said, Frederick Fromer tells his fascinating story splendidly. No fan's library should be without this book. Fred is also the head of sports business practice at the Dewey Square Group, which is a communications firm here in Washington, D.C., uh, where he provides strategic communication and other services to his sports clients. Prior to joining Dewey Square, Fromer worked at CNN, uh, Washington Post, the Associated Press. Uh, while at the Associated Press, he created a groundbreaking beat on the intersection of sports and politics. Uh, he has also written for the New York Times, Political, uh, The Atlantic, and Washingtonian Magazine. You can find Fred on Twitter at, at FFromer, F-F-R-O-M-M-E-R. So um, check that out. So without much further ado, here is episode 17 of the Curly W Live podcast, a look at the 1937 All-Star Game. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Lerner, and I'm here with uh, two gentlemen that definitely know about all-star games in D.C., my grandfather, Ted Lerner, and my dad, Mark Lerner. Gentlemen, you want to say hello to everyone? Delighted to be here. Always delighted to see him. So why don't we start back? We'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the 1962 game for a minute. Okay. So what do you remember about the 1962 game? Uh I don't remember the, the game itself. I remember being outside of what was then D.C. Stadium. Uh, and it was extremely hot. I also remember the people were dressed a lot differently in 62 than 69. Okay. They, you know, they came in hats and sport coats and ties, where 69 was a lot more casual. And I guess the dress code had changed. I have a recollection of that, but really none of the players... Do you, I do, can recall. So do you remember any events that happened at the game? Uh, who threw out the first pitch? Well, President Kennedy, I, I think, threw out the first pitch. Yeah. In what year? 1962. I think it's the same year that the stadium opened. Or, it, it or same was the first year in office. Yeah, at, second year. Second year. Yeah. But I remember him throwing out the first pitch at the first game at then D.C. Stadium. 
That I remember very vividly. So the so my understanding is that that was not the only All Star game that year. No, I, there were two that I recall. So they used to have more than one All Star yeah, game. I think because of the two leagues and they ended. I don't know when exactly they ended at it. I think it was in the sixties. It became one one game. Can you can you imagine right now if you guys had to plan for two All Star games? <laughs> well, they wouldn't do it the same. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 was so that was the second All Star game that was in Washington. And do you remember the third All Star game that was in Washington? The third All Star game I remember, I have a lot of memories of. It was rained out. It was a well. Wait, what year was it in? Nineteen sixty nine, July sixty nine. July sixty nine. And I, it was ra- it was rained out the first night we were there. Everybody was getting soaked. Finally, they called the game. Then they played it the next afternoon. So you it went to t- you went twice to the same game. Twice to the same yeah. game. Yeah. And I remember Frank Howard, the Capitol um, <laughs> Punisher, Punisher uh, hit a home run to the upper deck at center field. And the crowd went wild because of the home, home team guy. Um, and I remember Willie McCovey in a home run for the San Francisco Giants. What and I remember we were sitting on the first baseline behind the, the what was then the Senators' dugout. For everyone listening, just so you know, there is a, a, the, the Nats are playing <laughs> you can, you can the uh, Tampa Bay um, <laughs> in, the, in the background here. But I do, rem- I do remember sitting way back in the first place, like under the o- overhang where the football press box used to be, uh, TV and radio. Because I, I remember the overhang very vividly. But that was, that's really the whole What was going on at the time in the country in 69? At the moment, what do you remember? Well, you had a couple. Well, obviously the Vietnam War was in full force. And we had... Um, uh, Apollo 11, the first man space, the first man, man landing on the moon, was well underway. At the the, the rocket had yeah, been, they must have been on they, their way they, back. They, yeah, they, they, no, no, not because not it was July 22nd. July 22nd, they were on their way back. They landed on the night of July 20th on the moon. Yeah, so they, I think believe they took off the, the what would have been the 21st of June, and they were on their way home. That must have been that must have yeah. been really exciting. Yeah, well, that was that was pretty incredible. Well, I remember sitting on the floor of your bedroom watching it on TV. Yeah. That's where I watched it. So, circling back to the first All Star Game uh, in Washington, that was 1937. Pop up. What can you tell me about that game? Well, I were you there? Was an usher at the game, and. Um, the uh, injury to Dizzy Dean was probably the most important event of that day since he was a sensa- sensational pitcher and lost his effectiveness after that game. And um, that was, and I was 12 years old and I was, was able to, fo- to get them to, to hire me as an usher. So, so, so they hired you as an usher, you're at the game and you're taking tickets, you're showing people their seats, no, what no, are you no doing? Tickets. No, just sh- simply showing people their seats. And then, so that was, for a game like uh, the All-Star game, you're done by the second inning. What are you doing after that? Where are you watching the game? I sit on the steps and watch the game. So did they, they pay you, They did they pay you to be an usher, or is that they just, you got the pleasure of watching the game? I, th- I think it was simply the opportunity to see the game. I don't recall any money. If it was, it would be insignificant. 
And uh, is that how you normally went to go see games? Did were, did you always, were you always an usher? Uh, I was an usher until I was a little older and was able to go out and sell the Saturday Evening Post door to door. And when I accumulated a quarter, I would try to go to the game. Gotcha. And where that game was? That game was at. Griffith Stadium. Yeah, and then the 62 game was at... D.C. Stadium. And at 69, it was... Then changed to RFK Stadium after Bobby Kennedy was killed. Yeah. So... I I always saw the 37 game on a movie about Dizzy Dean. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I see you guys are obviously getting uh, pumped up for this year's game. Is there anything that you you can share that's going to be above and beyond... But well, well, me, I above me, I was just the, the whole process. It started literally the week we bought the team in July of 2006, and Dad and I constantly um, harassing is the right word, <laughs> Commissioner Seelig, until he finally. I remember where Commissioner Seelig told us we officially had it was we went to, we were at a dinner in New York for him in his honor, and he walked over to us and says, "I got something to tell you." between the two, three of us, and he told us we got the game, which was very exciting. But, you know, this was a tough game to get because there was literally one week that worked into the schedule for both baseball and the convention center. As baseball wanted, wanted the convention center uh, for the um, fan, fest. fan fest, and that's the only place they would do it. So we had to find a date that worked in July where both the fan fest I mean, the convention center was open for, for, for release, and we could have the game. And Commissioner Manford was very kind in moving it, letting us move it back a week to July 17th, mm-hmm. which is not normal. It would have been really the yeah. 10th of July. Yeah. And, and so we could accommodate the fan, the fan fest. So it's, everything has been tough to get, to get here to this point, but in the end, it's going to be a spectacular event for the city. So I'm going to ask both of you the same question. And I just I'd love to get whatever your immediate honest reaction is. When you went to your first All Star game in Washington D.C., could you have possibly imagined the game that's happening this year and the position that you'd be in? Absolutely not. It would, be, it would have been a dream. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, you can't imagine. Um, no. It's like it's. It's like going from ancient times into modern times. And what I remember about watching games at RFK and the struggles that they had because there was no mass transportation like there is today and everything, how it's all changed since then. And uh, I could have never imagined what the game would have gotten to, how spectacular and how Or that we would be involved with the team. Even be involved. I mean, we we tried back then. Beyond imagination. it's, It's incredible. What's how it's all grown to multi-billion dollar industry. So you're both excited for the game this year? Yeah, very Absolutely. much. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be a, a, just an incredible event. I mean, so many people worked so hard to make it what we dreamed of. So we're now very we, grateful to our staff we, who's done a magnificent job. The- Thanks again to Mr. Lerner, Mark Lerner, and Jonathan Lerner for joining the podcast in the previous segment. Uh, like we did before the 2017 NLDS, it was it was great to hear Jonathan talk to his father and grandfather um, about their All Star Game stories, whether it was attending or watching, and 
and uh, hearing about their excitement as we lead up to the 2018 All-Star Game. So, like I said, once again, thank you to Mr. Lerner, Mark Lerner, and Jonathan Lerner for their time. Um, so joining us on the podcast once again is noted D.C. baseball historian and author Fred Fromer. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Fred. It's uh, great to have you on board for a look at the 1937 All-Star Game. Uh, it's our fourth time getting together, um, so I'm sure this episode will be just as informative as the others we've done. Great to be here. Thanks, Kyle. So first off, let's talk about everything you have going on this week. We're talking on Monday, uh, July 9th. Um, we're about 10 days out from the game itself, but this next week here in D.C., there's going to be a lot going, around, going on around the city, um, not just the Fan Fest later next weekend, but there's a lot of events going on this week. Um, so you'll be at the Smithsonian on Wednesday, July 11th for an All-Star Game panel discussion with former Senators PA announcer Phil Hochberg, Gregory McCarthy of the Nats, and former Major League pitcher Mike Wallace, who um, does a lot of stuff on Masson. So, and then on Monday, n- next Monday, July 16th, you'll be at East City Bookshop for another All-Star event with uh, fellow author David Rapp and documented documentarian Aviva Kempner. So. Uh, they are putting your expertise to use this week, huh? Yeah, it should be fun. <laughs> uh, I know I know Gregory. Uh, his office is not too far from mine at Nats Park. And uh, I know Mike Wallace. Those guys have a lot of history, a lot of experience. Um, so I know from my experience talking to those guys, th- that event I think is going to be be a great one for fans to attend. So last summer, um, prior to the 2017 All-Star Game to be played down in Miami, uh, you had wrote a tremendous piece on the 1937 All-Star Game uh, for the Atlantic. It's called When the Nation's Capital Came Together for the MLB All-Star Game. Uh, and listeners to the podcast should definitely uh, Google it, uh, give it a read. It, it's great stuff. There's some great links in there, great information about the 1937 game. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about that article in the podcast today. But, um, you know, from your perspective, what kind of inspired such an extensive piece at looking at that game? Um, and kind of what was your um, your research process and, and what did you do to get that put that article together? Well, as a baseball historian who's really interested in Washington baseball in particular, I'm always looking for hooks and, and anniversaries. Okay. And uh, with the All-Star Game a year out at that point, I decided to look back at the four All-Star Games and started with that first one. And uh, I had realized until I did the math that it was ac- actually 80 years 80 ago. 80 years, okay. I thought it would be a, a good, fun piece. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the research was stuff that I'd already done for my book, but I did a lot more, uh, mostly looking at old Washington Post, New York Times stories that really covered in, in detail mm-hmm. and uh, used that for most of the uh, basis of the story. Cool, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that article as we go along, but you got another one coming out shortly, correct? Another article? Right, it should be out now, uh, a okay. story about all four All-Star games okay, cool. uh, that will be on the website of uh, NBC4. Oh, awesome. Well, I guess, again, Nats fans and, and listeners of the podcast, make sure you check out both those pieces, both those articles. It should be, uh, it's, it's great reading from Fred as usual. Um, so this was the fir- fifth Major League Baseball All-Star game, and, the first, uh, and in the first 12 years of the game, uh, the game was held at some of the most historic parks in MLB history. Uh, Comiskey Park, Polo Grounds twice, Yankee Stadium, Crosley Field. Um, so how did Washington, D.C. and Griffith Stadium get so lucky to be the host of one of these first All-Star games and kind of lumped into a group, such an amazing group of, of stadiums and historic landmarks throughout uh, baseball history? Well, it was kind of a surprise, actually. Um, back then, they alternated between East and West, and okay. um, Washington was in the east, and mm-hmm. uh, Detroit was considered the favorite. Detroit was considered the e- the west back then okay. because baseball <laughs> didn't have <laughs> didn't any baseball yeah. west of St. Louis. Absolutely. Uh, but the baseball owners really liked the idea, even though they had a game at the previous All-Star game in Boston, mm-hmm. they liked the idea of having the game in the nation's capital. Okay. Uh, even though uh, Griffith Stadium, the, the ballpark where the Nats mm-hmm. and the Senators played, only seated 30,000 people. So it had two things going against it, but being the nation's capital mm-hmm. was a uh, thing that got them over the hump. Right, yeah, and I looked at baseball reference when I, when I was kind of looking at this all-star game and you start at the bottom and you look at all these great 
um, historic landmarks in baseball history, and it, it's cool to have Griffith Stadium in D.C. represented within that group. Um, and it, it kind of parallels this this year with the the NL Park has been or the, the All Star Game has been the NL Parks for so long, um, and it, it kind of just made sense to continue that tradition this year with with it being in, in Washington D.C. And, and it'll return to the American League next year. So there's kind of some parallels between now and 1937. Right. Um, so, like I said, we al- we always talk about um, and it kind of goes back and forth, and we have different different answers to this question. But the player re- player selection process, how did that go in 1937? Yeah, it, it had gone back and forth a bunch of times, as you mentioned. Even in, as back in 1937, it had gone, it had switched over, right. it had been uh, recently gone back to the managers that would mm-hmm. cho- choose the players, uh, and that was um, really led to a lot of uh, sort of. St- Ballot stuffing, if you will, <laughs> weren't real ballots, but yeah. the managers, the teams, really gave their own guys mm-hmm. a lot of action at the expense of local players. And that uh, that, that came to fruition in this All Star Game, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But so as we talk about a lot on the, uh, in the podcast, the the president's involvement in the um, in these All Star Games. Uh, president Roosevelt attended, and from what I understand, he was he was the first president to attend uh, this the All Star Game. Correct? That's correct. And there there were a lot of issues specifically that week. Of the All Star Game between the President, uh, the Supreme Court, and Congress was kind of a kind of a volatile time back uh, in 1937, right? About um, around the All Star Game. That's right. So just a few months earlier, in November of 36, he had won a second term in a landslide. He only lost two states, uh, but he saw a lot of his legislation, New Deal legislation, invalidated by the Supreme Court, and decided he would try to add judges to the Supreme Court or mm-hmm. justices, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was really a, a tough battle in Congress. Most people, most lawmakers from both parties didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And so in the middle of this debate, uh, they were actually debating his plan, and he took a little hiatus from the, <laughs> the, the heat over that battle and made his way over to Griffith Stadium to uh, <laughs> throw out the first pitch. Okay, and then members of Congress were, were able to attend as well. Right, the, the House adjourned. Right. The, the Senate actually initially said they weren't going to adjourn, and they were going to actually take up FDR's court packing plan. <laughs> but in the end, the uh, Senate Majority Leader agreed to adjourn at 1 o'clock giving uh, centers just enough time to make it up to the ballpark for the game. Uh, there's actually some pretty historic footage that you have. You have a link to it in your article um, that we mentioned earlier, uh, shot by uh, Washington Center's pitcher uh, Dimi- Jimmy DeShong. Um, you know, can you tell us about, about that video and kind of its historic significance? Sure. So uh, DeShong, ironically, was, was actually not uh, an all-star. Okay. He was just a spectator. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but he shot it on an old uh, you know, home camera mm-hmm. and um, – and th- what was very unusual about it was actually showed FDR walking mm-hmm. with his braces, which was unusual mm-hmm. because most of the time you didn't see that. There was also a really interesting parade, uh, essentially a parade route. FDR is in the back of a convertible mm-hmm. uh, driving down the right field line. Like the warning uh, yeah. Yeah, and there are players on both sides <laughs> that are kind of, you know, kind of uh, saluting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool stuff. It had been gone for, for decades, right. and then it just kind of surfaced a few years ago. Wow. Uh, so somebody just found it. And that's, so that's great. So it's good stuff to yeah, find. Yeah, I, w- I watched it. Uh, actually, this morning I watched it again. And it, it what's funny to me is it kind of mirrors, like, what we see now, everyone thinks like cell phone footage and um, guys walking around all-star games, whether it's MLBs, NBAs, the, the Pro Bowl, the NFL, guys walking around with their cameras or, or their their um, their phones or their cameras and shooting video. And we all kind of think that's something new, but this was 1937 where a guy was walking around right. <laughs> po- probably bothering everybody. Uh, and the camera's a lot bigger. Absolutely, yeah. And he, he's in the dugout getting footage. He's, I think he's in the locker room sometimes at one point. But, yeah, it's it's just funny how uh, history kind of repeats itself a little bit and, and – Things haven't changed all that much. <laughs> right. I mean, back then it was cutting edge. So it was kind exactly, of a selfie yeah. mistake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so the game itself uh, featured 21 eventual Hall of Famers. Um, Senators, players Rick Farrell, Wes Farrell, and uh, Buddy Meyer were on the team. But, um, you know, we, we alluded to a little bit earlier, they didn't get into the game. 
Right, so the uh, Yankees manager, uh, Joe McCarthy, had mm-hmm. five Yankee starters, including the pitching starting pitcher, Lefty Gomez. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Gomez he took out after a few innings, but the other Yankees he kept in the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was uh, it was kind of a bitter pill for mm-hmm. Washingtonian fans. Right. Here they go. They see their own first All-Star game, and they can't see any of their right. own players. Right, And, uh, you know, Joe DiMaggio had a great game. Lou Gehrig uh, had a great game uh, giving the AL – he he homered early to give the AL two nothing lead and uh, the American League went on to win eight to three. Um, I uh, surely uh, looking at some of your quotes from your article, Shirley Povich, the noted uh, DC baseball writer, uh, criticized McCarthy pretty heavily in in his uh, his game stories. He did. He said actually both leagues he said mm-hmm. were taking it far too seriously, mm-hmm. um, and it was at the expense of the fans. He also had a funny line in there about. Um, how Joe McCarthy packed the Yankees <laughs> lineup, you know, kind of like the Supreme Court, Court with, uh, with the Yankees, and he said, as FDR watched, uh, perhaps uh, wistfully. <laughs> exactly. Um, so another big story that came out of this game, and it's a kind of an unfortunate story, was the injury to St. Louis Cardinals pitcher uh, and National League starter Dizzy Dean. Um, and actually backing up a little bit, he actually, and it becomes ironic because he got injured, he, he initially said he wasn't going to play in the game, and he had to be convinced to come, right? And that I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we think of uh, the selfish ball player occasionally, or mm-hmm. maybe not so occasionally sure. nowadays, uh, putting his own interest first. But it, it, there were players like that back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I loved his ED and everything, but uh, he actually declared a few weeks before he was tired of players, was tired of being told what to do and right. wasn't going to come. <laughs> and, um, you know, back then everything was by train. And so uh, he actually wound up getting there at the last minute. He took a rare airplane trip. Oh, wow. And he lands. Those new airplanes. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so the the um, the fans are there, reporters are there, and, and they're like, "Oh, well you made it." He's like, he says something to the effect of, "Oh, shucks, you know, Dizzy Dean would let you all down. <laughs> I just didn't want to uh, have to take a long train ride, so I figured I'd, I waited long enough, I'd have to take a plane out here." So <laughs> he officially worked it to his advantage, wow. <laughs> but it was bad karma. Yeah, exactly. So so as we talked about, he uh, Cleveland uh, Earl Averill hit a line drive off his foot. Um, and he suffered a fractured toe that actually never fully recovered, and he only got to play in 42 games the rest of his career. Uh, yeah, pr- pretty amazing. The yeah. funny thing is, or the sad thing, yes. as sad and ironic, is mm-hmm. that it wasn't actually the toe that did him in. Really? It was that he came back far too quickly okay. uh, from that injury, and then he wound up altering his mechanics mm-hmm. and then messed up his arm, and mm-hmm. that made him kind of never the same picture mm-hmm. he, w- he had been. Exactly, and that that's actually, if we go back to um, you know the conversation with Mr. Lerner, Mark, and, uh, and Jonathan, that, that was actually the moment that stood out the most for Mr. Lerner. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He, he, he was so struck by it that that's w- when Jonathan, I believe, asked him, um, you know, what was your memory? That that's what he pointed to, and it was it was a big story back then. And I was thinking while I was we were you know kind of preparing for for this afternoon's uh, podcast, and um, I was trying to think back to notable All Star Game injuries, and it just seems like uh, they don't happen very often. The the one I can remember was was in 1970. When I mean, obviously, I wasn't born then, but just knowing that baseball history was right. with Pete Rose and Ray Fossey. Right. Um, and, you know, back in 1970 and certainly back in 1937, mm-hmm. players took it very seriously. I don't think that Dizzy Dean's injury was a result of that, right. but certainly Ray Fossey's was. Absolutely, um, yeah. But nowadays, I think, you know, the guys, they play hard, but mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see anyone, you know, crashing into right. someone deliberately. That's just, there's too much at stake, and no. it is ultimately an exhibition game. Absolutely, and I'm knocking my head and knocking a little bit of wood that nobody gets hurt <laughs> right. uh, moving forward. Hopefully, I didn't jinx anything. So, um, it was, it was a great event. Like I said, it was the fifth All-Star game uh, in baseball. Um, and it was cool that D.C. got to be a part of one of the early All-Star games. And, uh, um, it was kind of a, a precursor to, to us having four, three more All-Star games and, and one more coming up, um, you know, this year for our fifth All-Star game in the city. So, um, you know, it was, it was really, exci- really exciting to read about, and especially with your article, giving so much information and 
Um, you know, so as we usually do at the end of these discussions, talk about the 1937 Senators. How did the season play out for them? Well, not very good. Kind of <laughs> typical Washington Senators yeah. season. So they had won the pennant as early as recently as 1933. Okay. So only a few years right. from the last pennant, but they had pretty much fallen on hard times. Mm. They came in in sixth place that year. Um, and they only averaged around 5,000 fans a mm. game. Uh, part of that, of course, was uh, the Great Depression, right, exactly. but part of it was they just weren't a very good team. Absolutely. So, uh, Fred. As we uh, wrap this up, I appreciate you uh, joining the podcast not only today, but for the other three episodes. Um, like I said, fans, make sure you check them out at the Smithsonian Wednesday, July 11th, and then also at East City Bookshop on July 16th. Um, so you can meet Fred, have uh, some more uh, D.C. baseball conversations, listen to some great expertise from a lot of great people around the area. So once again, Fred, thank you for joining not only today, but uh, throughout uh, this podcast series. Thank you very much, Kyle. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks again to Mr. Lerner, Mark Lerner, and Jonathan Lerner for joining us on this podcast, um, as well as to uh, Fred Fromer for being a part of this entire series. Uh, I hope listeners enjoyed our four podcasts outlining each game here in Washington, D.C. It was very enjoyable for me personally to research each game and spend time with Fred talking about each one of them. So um, next week, it's our turn. Uh, It's going to be a very special week. Um, I hope everyone gets a chance to go out and enjoy the festivities, whether it's FanFest, which starts this weekend, uh, the Futures game, and Celebrity Softball game on Sunday, the Home Run Derby on Monday, and the All-Star game on Tuesday. Uh, so much, There's so much going on around this city uh, starting by the end of this week, and um, I hope you're able to go out and experience at least a part of it, uh, if possible. So like we always say, we like your feedback, so tweet at me, at Kyle Brostowitz, or at Nationals. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Curly W Live and subscribe to the blog, curlyw.mlblogs.com. So following the All-Star break, the Nationals will welcome the Braves to Nationals Park for a pivotal three-game division series starting July 20th. So check out nationals.com for tickets and promotions. Once again, thanks for listening, Nationals fans. We will see you next time on the Curly W Live podcast.